Amen. One, two. One, two. One, two. Okay. Brilliant. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Hope you're doing well. It was a wonderful time of praise and worship that we had, isn't it? You know, just really just soaking and getting, you know, filled with God's goodness and God's truth. Um, we're going to go into a time of um, studying the Word of God and really digging into Scripture, challenging Scripture, something that really, yeah, it took me a, a long time to really uh, flesh out what God was saying in this portion of Scripture, continuing our preaching series, which is flipped. I truly was flipped many times this week about how I treat other people. Um, so let's get that up on the screens. Flipped, how we treat other people. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 30 to 38 to 48. But we're going to start between verses 38 and 42, go into a bit more exposition and discussion about that, and then we're going to go into the latter part of those verses. Okay, let's get stuck in. So Matthew 5, 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Okay, so we see this portion of scripture, we're going to cut it down even further. Verse 38 to 39 is what we're going to concentrate in this first part. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? What does Jesus mean? He was talking about the Pharisees explicitly in that part. Well, we can go back to Exodus and understand what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is. You see, before Israel went into the promised land, God wanted them to be set apart from the other nations. They were coming out of Egypt, they were coming out of slavery, went into the Sinai. They should have gone quickly over to the promised land, but they went around for 40 years. And what God was doing, he was taking out the slave mindset of Egypt to cause them to become people of the promised land, a nation. But he had to bring in his laws bringing his truths, bringing his, his, his corrections. So what he done, he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, alongside many other commandments you can read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Why? Because the people around the Canaanites were very brutal. They were evil and selfish people. They made the law unto themselves. They wrote their laws as the kings would do. They would write their own laws, and they would normally put themselves alongside the gods of, the, of, of, the, of those nations. They were brutal, selfish, and they were inward focused. So he gave them laws to follow, to set them apart in holiness. That's what Israel was. Israel was the representation of God's holiness. Not just to stop them from having fun, as I'm sure those who have been saved from um, and had friends who were in the world, you, you normally hear this statement of, oh, God just wants you to stop having fun. It wasn't about that. It was to give them a society that was careful, that was considerate, and that was healthy. And if you read that portion of, 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 of Scripture in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you will see that God was promoting a healthy society. 
So when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he wasn't saying, get revenge. Mm -mm. He was saying, think about your actions before you do it. If you don't want to lose an eye, don't take someone's eye. You see, if someone murdered your brother intentionally in the Old Testament times, God said, by the standards of the law, that person should die. That person should be put to death. Hard truths. If someone was to take away your eyesight in an eye, the eyesight in their eye should be taken away, like for like. But God wasn't talking about the like for like. He was talking about how you treat somebody before, your mindset before you make the action. So what does an eye for an eye look like for today? We understand that that was a time of Israel. It was many thousands of years ago. And in 2021, what does that look like for us today? If someone takes your seat on a train, then you do the same to another. If someone hurls an insult at you, you find worse and shout them back. If you were disrespected, you do the same to another. You disrespect another. They've taken away my respect, so I'm going to take the, my respect back from somebody else. If you get pushed, you punch back or push back. If someone steals from you, you take theirs. Or maybe you take someone else's. You hurt me, so I'll hurt you. This is the culture we live in today, isn't it? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'll take the law into my own hands. How I feel, I will respond. I will react. If you hurt me, I'll hurt you. So I've got some questions for yourselves today. Because it's not just about the hearing of the word, it's about the doing of the word. That's what's important. The word is not there as like a, going to the cinema, watching a movie and being entertained. No, it's to change us inside. So when I said about being pushed and pushing back, someone stealing your stuff, you steal back, does some of that ring true in your soul? Does your conscience prod you? Because mine does. Reading this scripture, my conscience was prodded constantly through it. Jesus' teachings are very hard, but very simple. And I realized how dark my heart was. I realized how I wanted to get revenge and push back. I wanted to hurt for when somebody hurt me. Because being hurt hurts a lot. You see, Jesus wasn't resisting the administration of justice. He wasn't saying justice is irrelevant, forget about it. No, he wasn't resisting that. He was challenging the individual human heart. You see, the Pharisees made it broad, made, made it narrow and said, hey, you know, an eye for an eye, two for two. If someone does something bad to you, do the same back to them. So their selfish desires can be enacted. But Jesus took it on a different level. He didn't do it as a corporal level. He spoke to the individual human heart on every single level and in every single person. He was challenging the human heart to love his way. You see, the Pharisees missed it. They didn't love God's way. They loved their own way. But God, Jesus was challenging us to love his way, which is the right way. So let's jump into the context and see how Jesus flips this even more. Because something that was, that was in verse uh, 39 of that chapter really made my head spin. And I had to take a moment to really go deeper into the word because I'm like, Lord, what do you mean when it says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person? 
in times of past, people would have taken that to be a very passive way of a Christian. If somebody hits you and beats you up, don't do anything back in return. Don't defend yourself. It does not mean that. It's very important when studying the Word of God to read it in its context, its historical value, understanding what the words mean when it was translated from the, 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 Hebrew, the, the Hebrew into the Greek. Understand what the words meant. And Jesus was not saying to resist and to be abused. No, he wasn't saying that. He was saying something completely different. So let's understand what the word resist means first before we go any deeper. The word resist means to set oneself against, to withstand, resist, oppose. So the context does not mean to allow someone to abuse you. No. It doesn't mean allow evil to run rampant and disregard justice. No. And it doesn't mean not to defend yourself. It's understanding that God has a larger plan than your immediate satisfaction. That his love needs to be administered in every moment, which is his character in every moment. So let me give you an example. Judas and Jesus. Perfect example. Judas, when he was about to betray Jesus for 30 shekels of silver, what did he do? At the last supper, he got up and went over to Jesus and gave him a kiss on the cheek. Then he left. Before he left, Jesus said to him, whatever you do, do it quickly. Jesus had 11 guys with him, faithful and loyal, ready to cut off an ear. <laughs> he could have said, yo, guys, this guy's about to sell me for slave money. Take him out. He didn't. He didn't do it. He allowed the abuse. He allowed what was to come for his greater glory because he knew God had a greater plan than his immediate satisfaction. Let's go over to Luke chapter 6, 31 to understand a bit more about what Jesus was saying here. And just as you want men to do to you, you do to them likewise. You see, Jesus is telling us to have the right view of all people in our hearts, just as he has. It's tough. And this is tough because when someone hurts you, you don't really want to do love, show love to them or be nice to them or be kind to them when they hurt you, especially when they say horrible things about you. But Jesus is saying, my view of that person is such in love. Your view must be like that also. But we still have to wrestle with Scripture to understand what Jesus is saying. So instead of, you've taken mine and I'll take yours. You took my money, I'm going to take yours. I will love you first because I want to be shown love first. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says love first because love is what you want to be shown. Irregardless of if the person shows it or not, you go in with that preposition. You go in with that first thought. Now, a challenging part came to me when I was studying this is, Charles, do you love before the altercation? I thought about that, it swirled around my mind. For, do I love before the altercation? Before the slap, before the abuse, before the, the verbal insult, was I showing love? Did that person know the love of God through me? Before we get to that point. Because normally we get to that point and then we, we lament. Oh Lord, look what happened. Oh Lord, this person hit me. Oh, one second, let's, let's go to maybe the 30 minutes before the altercation. Did you allow the breeding ground to be a breeding ground of love 
or the breeding ground of hate, abuse, and anger. Love suffocates abuse. Love suffocates anger. God's love. I'm not talking about this this worldly, frivolous love out there. I'm talking about God's love, the love that Jesus showed on the cross. That suffocates anger. That suffocates abuse. We need to set the temperature, people of God. We don't wait for it to get cold. We don't wait for it to get hot. We set the temperature. And we set the temperature by going in and showing God's love proactively, not reactively, not waiting for things to explode and go, the love of God. No. You go in first and you say, hey, I want to show you the love of God. I want to help you. I don't want an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. I want to lift you up. I want to see you grow. I want to see you exceed. Because that's the same love that God shows to us. Let's go to Proverbs 20, 22. Lovely scripture. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Now, I just wanted to, just before we move on from this, I just want to say this on the a, on a foundation that this is God's word. It's not my words. It's not your words. This is God's word. The one who fashioned the heavens. The one who flung stars into the sky. The one who created your body that when you have a slight cut, it heals. The same God is saying that to me and to you. Okay? Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. So Mark challenged me this week and he was like, Charles, I've got to pull back the curtain. So I'm going to, get, I'm going to expose myself a bit. Um, it was tough when I was writing this, but I want to tell you about a time in my life where I didn't do that. So my friend was living in shared accommodation back in 2008 and he got into an altercation with a guy who broke into his room and stole his valuables. Now to being a bit of context to this, my upbringing in East London as a young black man is, hey, you break into my friend's house, it's as good as you breaking into mine. So whatever my friend's troubles are, they are mine. My friend's enemies, they are mine. This was just a loyalty factor that we had. Not having fathers around, we made up our own kind of way of doing things, of protecting ourselves. So then he phoned me, well, we was at work, and he said to me, hey, are you guys, someone broke into my house, just come around and deal with him. I was like, okay. So we got baseball bats, knives, and other weapons to defend my friend against his enemy. And I remember I used to ride a motorbike back then. I was on my motorbike. My friend was next to me. We had baseball bats in the back of our jackets riding to South London. Crazy to take revenge because we was angry at what they'd done to our friend. We arrived. We waited. We looked out. And there was a there's a bunch of us inside of the kitchen with different tools ready to inflict the most damage on this unsuspecting person. Prepped for revenge. I can remember the fury and the anger, the indignation. We wanted to get our own back. Do not say I will recompense evil. In that moment there, it could have truly gone south. I could not be standing here in front of you today because I chose to recompense evil. Thank God for his grace and his protection. And I was in a time of being a prodigal son. I, I left the faith. I was doing foolishness in the world. But nonetheless, that still stood. Do not recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. So this lesson from Jesus is to teach us that God is our protection. Oh, man, that's hard. 
Especially when I'm like at my house, I'm at home, and I'm like, Lord, you know, if I just put up a couple of CCTV, I could see what's going on. He's like, no, nah, you don't need that. I am your protection. Oh, Lord, what if I, you know, um, you know, you know, I just go to the gym and get myself strong and learn mixed martial arts to do. No, I am your protection. And that is, that's across the board. God will protect you from harm if it is his will. And even if you are harmed, it's within his will and it will work out to good to them that love God and called according to his purpose. So no matter what happens, you always win. Even though it may seem in the outset that you've lost, you win. God will protect you for his glory. So our duty, children of God, is to get our hearts right before the altercation. Not during it, not after it, before the altercation. And that, that spun my mind. And I'm so ill-prepared that when it does happen, when I do find myself with altercations on the street or wherever it is with my family, my knee-jerk reaction is, boom, flames, boom, anger, boom, protection. And God's like saying, Charles, your heart was wrong way before. That's the reason why you're failing now. Get it right in my presence. Get it right in the secret place. Spend time with God, pouring out your fears and your anxieties, and he will keep you safe. See, we trust God will defend us. He will defend us, so there's no need to retaliate. We only need to love. Let our only retaliation be love. But let our preposition before be love. Does that make sense? So even if you missed the mark, so even if you didn't prepare your heart right, let your retaliation be love, to love. We're going to go a bit deep into what love is. But before we get into that, let's, let's flesh this out a bit more. The condition of our hearts is the reason why many of us fell in the actual moment. Because there are things in our hearts that we haven't dealt with. Anger, wrath, hatred, revenge, unforgiveness, bitterness. These things exist in the heart. And this is where the influence in those moments come from. So that's why we need to be before God asking, take this out of me. Forgive me for my wrong. And it's remarkable though, isn't it? That through all of this that Jesus is saying, he's really showing us as well that we miss the mark. We can't make it to the top. We only come up maybe 20%. But the rest of the percentage is by his grace, is by his love, is by his strength, is by his infilling. And we must remember that and never let that go. So to sum up that part is we are in desperate need of Jesus. That's what he's saying there on the, on the, on the mount. You're in desperate need of me. You can't do it on your, by yourself. You can't do it on your own. Just like if this room was an incubation, where there is no way air can get in or out, and somebody turned the oxygen levels down, you will become desperate to breathe, desperate for oxygen. Let that be our hearts before God, to be desperate for Jesus, that we may love like he loves. Let's go into the next portion of that first part of Scripture. We're going to go to verse 40 to 42. If anyone wants to sue you, and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. I mean, 
very, very difficult scripture to, to read. I mean, in three verses, I, I, I don't do this. <laughs> I'm guilty of this right here. And I'm, you can look into your own hearts. Are you guilty of this as well here? How many times have you gone the extra mile? But let's find out a bit more about why did he say tunics? Tunics are woven undergarments that everyone used to wear in the ancient times. So to parallel it is to say a t-shirt for a man or a blouse for a woman. So somebody wanted to take away your blouse and said, no, give them that expensive jacket too. Give them your jacket too. How willing, people of God, are you to give away what is rightfully yours? what you actually have worked hard for, saved up for. How willing are you to give away what is rightfully yours? Do you see your possessions as a chance to glorify God? Down to your very t-shirt and your blouse, do you see that as a chance to glorify God, to see his kingdom come, to see hearts transformed? Do you see your possessions as a chance to glorify God? James 1, 17, it says this. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Do we understand that all good gifts come from the Father above? That it's not you, nor I, that has given ourselves these good gifts, it is from God. The very strength in our body, the very breath in our lungs is a gift from God. All of those good things that you have in your home is a gift from God because it says that he gives us the ability to acquire wealth. So all of it is his. We're just stewards of what we have. Now how willing are we to give what is rightfully ours? As close as the shirt is, on your chest? How close, how, how willing are you to give what is close to yours, possession-wise? I mean, we're challenged to how people treat us, whether they slap us, they abuse us, they verbally abuse us. And now we're challenged to the very things we have, Jesus is saying. It's an amazing parallel that when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung naked. They cast lots for his clothes. He gave us the very shirt on his back. Oh, time is a gift, isn't it? That's another gift. I don't know, I might live to 65, maybe 70. I might live to tomorrow, whichever. My time is a gift. Your time is a gift from God. Are you prepared to do more with it for Jesus? Do you have an attitude to do more? You know that like your attitude to crossing the road, driving a car, catching a bus, your attitude to having a meal, your attitude towards your daily routine. That's an attitude. A, it's, it's a preset before you engage with the activity. What is your attitude towards your time? When in regards, in the light of Jesus, is it, oh, that's my time. Oh, I'm going to do this, 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 this. But one second, have I even consulted God, what he wants me to do with my time? I gave my life to him, didn't I? So that means that's my time. What a challenge. And I thought about this. He said, whoever asks you to go with him further, go an extra mile. So if someone asks you to go one mile, go two. That's with human beings. How much more for the God who saved my soul? Are you prepared to go the extra mile for God? 
to do more for the Lord. To serve his kingdom. Now what a, a beautiful reality. I've been born into church all my life from the time from Baptist to Pentecostals, Methodist, all of that. And I've seen the struggles of people without a building. I've seen how people, oh God, if we just had, if we just had, we have. We have hands. We have thoughts that God gives us and ideas and ambitions to further his kingdom. Look at the space we have. 24-7, seven days a week, we can do things to glorify God. We can do things to go the extra mile. This is the platform to do that, to really say, God, here's my time. I'm going to run for you. What has God placed inside of your heart? Those lovely diamonds, like diamond seeds that he puts into the ground and flourish, and you will see people out there, their lives transformed and changed for his glory. Don't lock it away. Don't fold your hands. Stand up and go the extra mile for Jesus. The Spirit of God compels us. He draws us. He pushes us. It's going to hurt. It's going to stretch you. It's going to be hard. But it's for his glory. And then the Holy Spirit came and dropped something in my mind so gently. It said, Charles, you have eternity to rest. I thought, wow, it's so true. I lost perspective of eternity. Oh, Lord, I'm tired, so I need eternity to rest. Let me work hard for you here. It says the laborers are few. The harvest is plenty. But the laborers are few. Let's not be, let's be counted amongst the few laborers. And run for his kingdom. God is good. Yes. Right. Let's go to the next part, the next portion of scripture. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. So the next part. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. People of God, we must learn to love our enemies. It's not a part over four over there that we have to interact with when we have to. Jesus embodied that through his whole life. We were enemies of God. So from the moment Jesus was born to the moment he died, he was loving his enemies because he had to live a perfect life in order to be a perfect sacrifice. So his whole life was showing love to his enemies. We need to learn to love our enemy as hard as it may be. As challenging as it may be, we must learn to love our enemies. As Christians, we can sometimes be in such a safe circle, isn't it? It's very rare to come across a spiteful Christian. Well, not very rare, but you know what I'm trying to say. In this moment, <laughs> I said it in love. In this moment, you know, you can find that we can be in our circles where it's safe, it's easy, minimal persecution, minimal abrasion. When you think of our brothers and sisters in Iran, in China, 
in India, in Nigeria, going through physical torture for their faith. It makes us think, doesn't it? What kind of life are we living here in the West? What persecutions can we stand up and fight against? Our disposition needs to change. We need to start learning it whilst we have the time and training before it happens. I don't want to go too deep into the book of Revelation, but Revelation speaks of a great tribulation coming for those who love Jesus. The name of the perpetrator is called Antichrist. We are called Christians. This is a reality. We stand for Jesus. They crucified him because of these words that he spoke. We will be crucified for these words that we speak, which are his. Let us learn to love like he loved. It's such a serious issue. and such a challenge we need to look in the mirror and say, do we love like Jesus? Do we love our enemies, those who persecute us and spitefully use us? It's hard to hear, but again, we remind ourselves that when we are weak, he is strong in us. When we are poor, he is rich in us. He fills the deficit. He fills the gap. We have to remind us, though, don't lose heart. It's a tough message. Don't lose heart. How do I love my enemies? He fills the deficit in us. So in Jesus' strength, as you can see on the screen, we love, do good to Bless and pray for our enemies. Again, in Jesus' strength, we love, do good to, bless and pray for our enemies. Pray you do something for me right now. I just want to close your eyes for me. Let's go to the next slide. Close your eyes for me, please. And just try and focus your mind right now. Try and clear it. Don't think about your errands or things you have to do. Just clear your mind. And I want you to think of a human enemy right now. In this, in, this, in this kind of black room, as your eyes are closed, picture a human enemy. Somebody who has spitefully used you, persecuted you, harmed you, spoke evil of you. Picture that person or that thing or those group of people, whoever it is, picture it. I know it hurts. It reminds you of a time in your life or a moment that you felt so small. Now, Jesus says, now think of lovingly blessing them, doing good to them and praying for them. You want to say no, 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 no. Let forgiveness, let love flow. We can open our eyes. You can do that the strength of Jesus Christ. You can do it. If you let his spirit flow, you can do it. Guaranteed you can do it. When they verbally offend us, we bless them. When they harmfully use us, we sincerely pray for them. When they attack us, we love them. When they hate us, we do good to them. Jesus flips it on its head. Jesus flips it on its head. And by his strength, we too can flip it on its head. 
If only we'll just let the Spirit of God fill up our hearts with his love, we can do it. Let's look at the cross. His beard was pulled out. Man, I, sometimes my wife is like, she's going through my, 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 my beard and she, she'll take out like, the pain of one strand of my beard coming out is, my gosh, they ripped out Jesus' beard. They put a crown of thorns into his head. They punched him, beat him. They flogged him and whipped him. They hung him naked on a cross. They put a spear in his side and cast lots for his clothes. And the word of God says he did not even open his mouth. But like a lamb is led to the slaughter, so he was. For the cross, so that we can have eternal life. How amazing is that? He flipped it. He said, I will not retaliate. I will not harm you. I will not push back. I will allow it to happen because I see the bigger picture of what God is doing. That's amazing. That's incredible that we too in our micro environments or our micro situation where we want to hit back. When we don't, we show love, we do the enacting of the cross each and every time. And as we got eternal life through Jesus, we pray that others, when they experience the love of God, will receive the eternal life that we have. When we choose to show love and be loved in every circumstance of our life. The world is not conducive to this. You will be peculiar. You will stand out. But aren't we supposed to as Christians? Are we supposed to blend in like camouflage? We're supposed to stand out for Jesus. And we do that with his love. Let's go to a um, portion of scripture. It's very important that when you read the word to rightly divide it. Don't just read one portion of scripture. Rightly divide the word to understand the balance of scripture. Romans 13, 8 to 9. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, and are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we love others, we do no harm to them. And that's even harmful thoughts. You know, God, I didn't, I didn't hit them. I didn't say anything wrong to them. But in your head, you're like, I wish you'd die. I wish you'd suffer. We can't do that. We can't have a heart of harmfulness towards others. We must love. And I believe this is a challenge to love all the people regardless. You know what we've gone through in the past nearly five, ten years in Christendom? about people in terms of sexuality, people in terms of politics, people in terms of which side of the, the coin they stand on concerning huge decisions in this country. Jesus is calling us to love regardless. It's tough. It's tough. But we've got to practice loving at all times. We've got to practice loving. The question is, do you practice love? You know, I think about huge people like Serena Williams who practice 
at tennis and it's phenomenal. Cristiano Ronaldo practice at football and has won enormous every trophy. Those people who practice meticulously at creating a hole in their face with makeup, they practice hours and hours and you look, you go, my gosh, is it? But their skill is so sharp and so good at applying makeup, you believe they have a hole in their face. <laughs> Can we be so with love? That we practice it so well and so deep that we are skilled in loving others. It's not a, oh, if I have to love them. It's like, where can I love? Where can I show God's love? Where can I show God's healing? Where can I show God's restoration? Where? Give me an opportunity, Lord, to practice this love. To love the person next to you, regardless of status. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're homosexual. It doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're a scholar. It doesn't matter. I'm going to love you. Love is impartial because love is God. And God says he is impartial. He doesn't take sides with a group of people or a, or a type of person. No, he's impartial. So love is impartial. It takes no human side but the side of all humans. It says, for God so love the world. You see that? He loved the world. He didn't say, for God so loved India, or for God so loved Great Britain, or so God. He said the world. That's all humans. And that's the type of love and disposition we need to have towards other people. To love you, irregardless. I don't care about your story, mate. I'm going to love you. I don't care that you hurt me. I'm going to love you. As hard as that is, I don't say it easy. It's hard. But I choose to love you. I choose to love. But I know it's like a beat down, isn't it, sometimes? Oh, my gosh, I've got to love. People hit me. I've got to love them. You know, I can't get revenge. And Lord, where do we win as Christians? You know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's a scripture that some, I think sometimes I take too much joy in the scripture. But nonetheless, let's read it and, uh, and go with it. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Oh, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Coals of fire on their heads. They will be perplexed. You, I just hurt you, and you're giving me your last bottle of water when you're thirsty. That doesn't make sense. But so the cross doesn't make sense. Why do we get eternal life when we're the ones who sinned against Jesus? Why do we have a home in heaven, a mansion in heaven, a crown on our heads when we're the ones who went against him? It doesn't make sense. But that's God's love. It perplexes us. Oh, it's amazing. You see, children of God, when we react out of anger, wrath, jealousy, hate, we are overcome by evil. And this is a heart check. And this is why devotional time, spending time alone with Jesus in a secret place, Psalms 91, away from the noise and the, the pull of social media, the world and, and friends and family, just to pull away is so important. 
because it's a time for the heart to be vulnerable before God. It's a time for the heart to say, Lord, these are the things inside of me. They're growing. I'm a gardener. I really love gardening. If you get to my house, it's my gardener. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. We've got, we got, we got, we got grapes. We've got raspberries. We've got all this stuff. It's, a, it's a so lovely. It's like a little haven, yeah? And I love it. But one thing that annoys me so much is, 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 is my neighbor's garden, yeah? He doesn't take care of his garden. He's got weeds that are just... And what happens is they come under the fence, round the back of my sheds, and they grow and they start to choke out my flowers. And if I don't go to the back and check regularly, the weeds, do you know the kind of, it's like a vine. It's a weird vine. It's not an attractive vine. It's an annoying vine. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a vine that these little leaves, Tom, you've got a load of these in your garden. Yeah, that type of vine. Yeah, you cleaned it. But yeah, that one comes into my garden. It chokes my flowers. And it's the same thing in the human heart. If we don't take care of the heart, anger, hatred, bitterness, jealousy, like little shoots. Before you know it, they grow, they grow, they grow. And then the roots go around the roots of the good tree. And then what happens is when you try to pull out the weed, it damages the good tree. The good do not be overcome by evil. So when we act out of patience, love, gentleness, peace, goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, we overcome evil with good. And I believe the heart of what Jesus was saying here on the Sermon of the Mount to these people was be overcome by good so you can overcome evil. So when you're struck on the cheek, you know that your Father in Heaven protects you and you refuse to act out of evil. Father, look what's happened. It's in your hands. I am in your hands. Do not be overcome by evil. Wrath, anger, jealousy, idolatry, witchcraft. These things they speak of in Galatians. Do not be overcome by these things. And they're in our hearts. And we have to keep on rooting, taking it out. I asked my son, I asked him to do, take out weeds from my garden constantly, and he can't stand it. But we have to do it. We have to maintain the garden as we need to maintain the garden of our hearts. And we do so in prayer, in the word, in the secret place. When we pull away, close our door, and spend time with Jesus. Jesus never guarantees you will feel better. Someone insulted you. He never guarantees you're going to feel better. But he guaranteed that you will, in Matthew 4, 5, 48 says, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a promise. And when you think of perfection, you're thinking, what, without error? No. The type of word perfect used here is complete. See, we fulfill Jesus' righteousness in our life through obedience that leads to a godly completeness. It's a maturity. When we love our enemies, we are matured in our faith. When we choose to turn the other cheek, we have matured in our faith. It's not about how many times you've read the Bible cover to cover. It's not how long you can spend in prayer. It's not about uh, uh, prophecies and revelations. It's about love. Paul says, if I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy sound. I'm an offensive odor. I have no value. But if I love that's where the value is. And what a wonderful reality that God can pour his love into us and we can pour it out into such a broken and hurt world. 
God's love completes us when we choose to use it every day. So what are you going to choose? I know what I'm going to choose, as hard as it is, and I'm still going over this. Although I'm preaching, it's still like a mirror being held up to love my enemies. What are you going to choose to do with those who have hurt you, in your family, your friends, at your workplace, that person? Ah, I wish I'd just... No, I'm changing my disposition. I'm setting the temperature. I'm going in with love. Even if I'm rejected, even if I'm hurt, even if I'm used, even if I'm persecuted, I choose love. It's a decision. Before Paul went into Babylon, he made a decision in his heart that I will serve the living God. So when they brought him before Nebuchadnezzar, he was like, bro, I've made my mind up already. You can give me all of this. I don't want to eat your meat. I don't want to eat your drink your wines. I've already made my mind up. And we too, make your mind up before you go into the situation to love. So let's conclude. Let's conclude. Mm. Set the temperature. Don't wait for it to get cold. Let the preposition of love be there before you go in. Your attitude of love before. Set the temperature. You have the power and authority to set the temperature in every single circle and position and place in your life. Be intentional and practice it. Practice it. As you practice your craft or your profession, practice it. And you'll get stronger and better at it as God fills you up with his grace and his goodness. When it comes to loving our enemies, instead of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, we start by when they verbally offend us, we bless them. When they harmfully use us, we sincerely pray for them. When they attack us, we love them. And when they hate us, we do good to them. 